This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 162. It's Dr. Julie Capel, and this is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest and someone I'm looking very forward to getting to know along with you. Her name is Teresa Bittner, and she is a project management professional, which is kind of um, works with computers and things like that, if I understand that correctly. She also has a master's in education, and um, she's a coach. So, um, and she has a really interesting story on resilience and handling grief and all those things. So I really thought she'd be a great guest for us to talk to today. Um, Let me tell you a little bit more. She, um, She coaches, she speaks, she specializes in resiliency and change and loss. And um, so I think it's going to be great to have her today and learn about her. So welcome, Teresa. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Julie. Glad to be here. Honored to be a guest with you guys. I'm so happy to have you. So how about just starting with your story? Start the story. at the beginning. Yeah, just the beginning. Tell the beginning. About, <laughs> well, tell me about yourself because we sure. just met. Mm-hmm. And so um, I would like to hear like how well, you I, how you came up and how I got to this place. So I'm originally from New York and we live way out in the country and I was, you know, a little crazy wild child, you know, smoking, drinking kind of gal. And we moved when I was in middle school and that comes back to it. And we moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And literally we moved next door to the debutante. Oh my God, Satan moved in next door. It was not a good transition period in middle school. Um, So that was one of the first times I was probably going through changes and resiliency and didn't know it. I was a kid. So I became a rebel without a clue is how I kind of named myself. It was a very turbulent teen years and all kinds of interesting things. Um, And it was an alcoholic abusive parents that I grew up in. So kind of survived all that. Um, Wanted to go to school to become a psychologist. That's why I'm a coach now. But dad said, no, you like boys and money and you need to do something. Go get a computer science degree. And that was in the 80s. So I did. That was all I was going to pay for. So your dad pushed you into that? Yes, very much. He said, I'm not paying for a psychology degree. You're not going to be a quack, blah, blah. And it was a great career. I mean, I was really good at computer science, was very good at programming. So I started and then I moved. My husband, my first husband, I got married. We got married on Sunday, graduated from college on Saturday and moved on Monday to Austin, Texas, where I still am. So you're (laughs) in Texas now. Yes. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody listening. So that was a lot of changes and we didn't know anything about moving that much or what wouldn't you recommend? Doing all three in one weekend. Oh. Because <laughs> you wake up about six months from there. We're like, oh, we're married. We're out of school. We're in a different state. Whoa, what happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a lot of change in, in a short period of time. Yeah. So I worked in high tech and I discovered quickly that programming and writing software was, it was okay, but it wasn't my thing. I liked working with people and watching them develop and grow. So I quickly got into management and that's how I got into project management as well as a way to, you know, lead teams and, you know, grow teams and grow people. And I got through project management and executive management, had a great 16 year career, but it was very taxing while having children and another, my 
first husband was in um, high tech as well, and we're both trying to be executives. So an epiphany of getting totally burnt out, I decided to quit. I was like, oh, do I want to go be a vice president or quit? I think I'll quit. I kind of just came through. Well, so my tell oldest. Tell me about that. Like, how do you make that decision? I have an opportunity to be a vice president in a corporation, and then I I can quit. It was it was kind of a series of events. The first one was back in that day. I thought it was all that working at home, and I had multiple windows up, and I had a cell phone, two different headsets, one for each ear, and doing an online chat kind of session. Wow! And I was telling my oldest son about it, and he's like, "Mom." That's stupid. And all I could think about all day is like, Ellie, he really is really right. And then we lived out on a ranch and the internet went out. It was a great thing because I wanted to attend my youngest kiddo's little project for gifted and talented. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And then I get really sick with pneumonia for the third time from traveling. And the doctor's like, I'm not going to give you drugs. You need to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, you don't understand. We have spring break we have to go to right now. So just give me the drugs. And on that trip, I was just like, I'm working on the laptop and I'm not with the family. What am I doing? Um, and it was just, it kind of was one of those, I'm just going to quit. And I was like, hey, guess what? And they're like, what? Mommy, did you finish your package so you can be a big wig? No, mommy's putting in a resignation. No, <laughs> my husband was so like, what? How old were your kids when that happened? They were in, my youngest was um, still in grade school, and then my oldest was in middle school. So, so yeah. in plenty of time to be uh-huh. involved with their schooling, huh? Yes, plenty of time. And I thought, I'll quit. I'll be a stay-at-home mom. That didn't last long. <laughs> I then quickly moved um, into volunteering for the school and doing all those things I always wanted to do, volunteering. And the folks were like, hey, would you substitute teach for me? So I started substitute teaching. And a couple of good friends, a gal pal and another guy who had retired from the Navy were like, would you please go get certified and just come teach? It's like, oh, okay, that'll be all right. You know, I can do that while the kids are in school. So I became a middle school science teacher and found quickly that executives and sixth graders really aren't that different. <laughs> Only some of the sixth graders might throw stools at you if they're crazy, you know, <laughs> or really having a bad day. And I worked in a Title I high-risk school, which was passionate. It was passionate to me because middle school is where I started going off the rails. I loved the kiddos, loved working with them. So how um, long did you do that? I did that for five years, but the second year and why we're here together was probably the most pivotal thing. My first husband was killed in a motorcycle accident. Mm. So it was just a year and a half after quitting big money. It was an accident. The kids were, you know, just into, you know, getting into the oldest one was in high school and it was horrible. It was a horrible accident and we lived down on a ranch. Uh, we didn't have ranch animals. We had lots of dogs and cats. And I was just like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? So that kicked me hard. It took a long time to get through it. But with faith, family, and friends and good therapy, I came through it. And people kept telling me, oh, Tracy, you're so resilient. Oh my gosh, you're so strong. And all I think of thinking is like, I'm surviving. I know how to do that. I figured out, you know, as a kid, how to do it. I've moved. I can survive. And every year I would set a goal like, okay, get the eldest one graduated, get the second kid graduated. And there were really small micro goals of surviving. Um, And then I started after the therapy and counseling, I'm like, you know, teaching is okay. That's not really what I want. I always wanted to start my own business. And I ended up going to a life coach. I'm like, oh, wow, I so want to do this. She's like, well, why don't you? I'm like, 
oh, I have, you know, I have this ranch. I got to take care of the kids. Blah, 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 blah. She was like, well, just go find excuses, out about it. Right? Yeah, just go find out about it. So I did. And in 2014, I decided not to sign my teaching contract and started my own coaching business. Um, bold fulfilled life coaching. And that's what I do. And I love it. And I wrote a memoir uh, after I started my uh, business as well. I had a boyfriend at that time. We're married. The kids all turned out great. It was some turbulent times. Yeah. So that's the story in a large nutshell. Yeah, that is a story. That's a big story. (laughs) Well, you know, I love life coaching because that's what I do too, Mm -hmm. um, along with my veterinary work. And so I would like to kind of springboard off of that whole story of yours because you say that you specialize in resiliency and it sounds like Mm -hmm. all the things you've been been through have helped you go there. How do you how do you start with somebody that's gone through a loss like you went mm. through? Like I can't I can't imagine because I haven't had a loss like that in my life. I've been fortunate so far that I haven't had to go through that. Where would you where oh, would you yeah. start? Yeah, if I mean and find support. Um, there, there's not, I was 42 at the time, I'm now 56. And it was, there just isn't a lot of support for what I call air quotes, normal people. If you're, you know, a military or emergency services, there's oftentimes lots of support groups, but for average Jane and Joe out there, there's not. So figure out when you very first have it, um, a gal pal and I, and I started another resource. It's called Torn in Half for what we call early widows. Not, you know, because people are like, oh, you could join the widows group. And you look around, you're like, oh, they're sweet little old ladies, but that's not quite me. So finding support online or offline is super critical. And then it's really taking it one day at a time. That's the most important and not uh, one of the best advice I had was don't make any major decisions if you can for the first year. Yes. Yes. I've heard that before. I've Mm -hmm. heard other people say that is making big decisions is not a great idea. Financial decisions, Mm -hmm. moving, like Mm -hmm. all the things. Right. So I kept my job. I didn't want to. Um, It was the school district I worked in was amazing. They wrapped our arms around both my kiddos and me. And it was sad. I had to go back in 10 days. By law, they couldn't even give me. Yeah. In 10 days, they could. People's other teachers wanted to give me their time off and by the laws that we had in the district, they weren't allowed to. So So, your husband passed and then in 10 days you had to go back to work. I did. The school district was awesome. They brought in a substitute teacher and they're like, she'll be here for the rest of the year. And it happened in October. So it was a long school year. She's here. We've hired her for the year. You go in that classroom. And if you just want to walk in and leave, you do. And it was a beautiful way to gradually bring me back in. And the kiddos really, I think, helped me get through it because they, you know. on some level. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They were so supportive. Yeah. So if somebody is going through something really tragic like Mm -hmm. you did and you say, take it one step at a time, what does that mean? Like, so, and it it can be really simple. Um, uh, First. The people, you know, your family, friends, whatever are there hovering. I called it hovering. I had one gal pal constantly give me water bottles and white grapes. I didn't eat white grapes for the longest time. You need to eat. I'm going to throw up. Eat it anyway. Okay, fine. And uh, so, so is it good or bad? Like if, if you're someone on the outside of a big grief, is it mm-hmm. good for you to be there bringing the water? Like, is that what people want? Maybe, maybe that uh, would be a good thing to tell <laughs> 
<laughs> sometimes. And I think knowing if you're a good friend, kind of knowing your friend. Um, and the, these two friends, I was we were at my husband's memorial service and I went in the bathroom and, and I was dry heaving, crying. And they're like, you have to come out. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not going. And they're like, no, sweetie, you have to go. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm leaving. I'm going to go home and I'm going to wake up and this will be different. And they're like, oh, sweetie. Right. Yeah. So being there and being, I think the biggest thing for those who don't, aren't familiar with grief is it's okay to be super uncomfortable. And it is, it's horrible to watch a friend or family member just fall apart and act in very sometimes strange, irrational ways. This I was misguided together project manager and I completely fell apart. Right. Um, and that, and that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I think sometimes I, I feel like veterinarians and I don't, it's probably the same with you and the, you know, executive um, mm-hmm. crowd is we do, we have this expectation in our head that we're always supposed to have it all together. And we're always supposed mm-hmm. to be, you know, fine and not mm-hmm. ever have, have anxiety or not ever have any big emotions. And I, I think that's part of the biggest problem. Mm-hmm. It's us not being okay with feeling not okay. Does that yeah, sense? it certainly does. It reminds me of like Brene Brown in the lean into the discomfort. Um, it didn't feel good. And I know it, my friends, we've had chances to help each other after that. Um, the other thing I would say, and you had mentioned it, is um, being an executive. I had, when I was an executive, I had employees die. I had to deal with that. And I know so much more than I did in my early 20s. Oh my goodness. Um, It's being as kind as you can and give as much as you can. But also I was, um, and after I started my coaching business, I had another death. My mom got sick with congestive heart failure and died. And I was working with a coach and I said, I have to close my business. I can't do this. She's like, why? I said, I I can't cry with my clients. And she's like, Teresa, you're human. Oh my gosh. Of course you can cry with your clients. I'm like, no, that's horrible. She's like, no, it's okay. You're human. And showing that will, you know, it will have its own life. Yeah. And I, I really think that um, we need to remember that, you know, that, that all that emotion is okay and all of it's normal and all of it, mm-hmm. you know, we all go through ups and downs in our lives and um, yeah. yeah, that, cause that is a, a really important thing for my listeners to hear because mm-hmm. we do have a lot of grief in our job. Sure. And then if you have grief on top of that at home, um, you know, it's okay not to, not to always handle it the best. Yeah. And get, get help, find support group. There's all kinds of things out there. And if nothing else, journal it. Yeah. I love journal out the, f- and some people aren't journalers. So I call them contemplation prompts. <laughs> so, so if you say journaling, they're afraid to do it. But if you say that, they will be more likely to do it. Yeah, I have clients like, I'm not journaling. Nope, no way. Lots of men in particular. I'm not doing it. Nope, won't work for me. I'm like, okay, what about a contemplation prompt? I can do that. I'm like, okay. Yeah, well, that, there's some, some big words for them. They think it, it's, it sounds more reasonable, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, as a business owner as well, it's important to, you know, do you have, and this is part of building resiliency into your life is, do you have backups? Can somebody cover you? So when I was like, mom was super sick and in hospice and I couldn't handle clients, I had a couple coaches I could refer my, you know, clients to. Um, do you have backups? Can you, you know, or is there a system in place that if you have to be gone for whatever emergency, we have COVID nowadays, um, is your business resilient enough to deal with that and roll through it? Yeah. 
And when you talk about resiliency, what does that actually mean to you? Like, what, uh, what is your definition? Because I've heard a lot of different people speak about it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And to me, it just kind of means that ability to bounce back from something. But what does it kind of mean to you? I mean, that's the easy answer, but it's also, excuse me, no, going through a situation and coming out the other end and an, and an ability to move forward with hope and joy again, as well as, you know, instead of surviving it, you begin to thrive because that, okay. you know, surviving an incident, that's one thing, right. but until I took kind of ownership of the situation and got myself healthy, got the kids healthy, got, you know, got everybody healthy. Um, we went from then surviving to actually thriving and really living life again. So yeah. b- bouncing back, I, I like to think of us as bouncing forward. And my Im- imagery is a spring because you do spring back, but can you spring back better if yeah. possible? And it's in small steps. It's not going to happen overnight. No. No, especially so not if you have a massive loss, no. Yeah, so you had a massive loss with your husband mm-hmm. and it it was at a bad time in your life. Like, not that there's ever a good time to lose your husband, but I would think that having small children and being a working yeah. mom would be a really bad time. So what kind of small steps? How long did it take? What, you know, what what did you go through? So other people maybe going through something similar can kind of see their reflection in you. Sure. I mean, the first thing was, you know, I tried to eat and drink my way through health, uh, through grief. That did not work out well. Uh, <laughs> like overeat and overdrink. Yes. Yes. I mean, well-meaning people brought me cases of wine to the ranch and it was great, but it wasn't great. They're like, oh, yeah. we know you like red wine. I'm like, yeah, I didn't need that. Yeah. So it was about a year and I was like, okay. And I, you know, at work I was yelling and a gal pal of mine was like, girlfriend, you need to go get help. I'm like, I'm terrified I'll get addicted to any drugs. So I went and saw my general practitioner. A great thing to do is just go to the doctor because oftentimes you don't take care of yourself. Just go, get a health, get a physical. And that's true for everybody all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Go get yourself checked out. I I find myself not wanting to do that and feeling like it's kind of a weakness. But the older I've gotten, the more I've been like, yeah, I gotta gotta do it because I don't, I want to catch things, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, especially if you're caregiving for someone and they die, a lot of times we neglect ourselves as, you know, caregivers, we do that. And as business right. people, we do that. So right. that's one of the best things you can do and talk to them like, oh, hey, I'm not sleeping. And, you know, I yelled at an employee. That's probably not a good idea. And, you know, he said, okay, I'm like, I'm going to get addicted. He's like, no, you're not. We're going to start out small. So that was, that would be a small step, taking care of yourself first. And I had gained tons of weight. So I got sober and lost weight little, you know, exercising. Yeah. So uh, you weren't totally happy at that point. Mm-hmm. You weren't totally back, no. but you started taking little steps towards getting healthier. So then once you felt a little bit healthier, then you were strong enough mm-hmm. to take the mental steps that you needed to take to become happy again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think sometimes I, I try to convey to my life coaching clients is that you know, this life coaching thing isn't um, a destination. It's like a constant ever going and ever evolving project. Like I'm never going to be perfect and I'm always going to have struggles. And that's what life is all about. The, The trick is learning the tools that it takes to kind of start to work yourself 
through things when they go wrong and having a little bit more tools in the toolbox to handle them. Mm-hmm. At least that's mm-hmm. kind of how I see it. Well, yes, how do you definitely. Feel about that is that part definitely. of what mm-hmm. you think? Mm-hmm, definitely. As um, and one of the steps. I realized in myself as I used to be as a project planner, I'm like a huge goal planner. I have my goals written down. And I have a theme. Very detailed. If oh yes. My husband's also a PMP. I think I told <laughs> you that. And uh he's got like like those people have to be super detailed mm-hmm. and super, you know, organized, right? Mm-hmm. And go ahead. And so setting goals, I realized about two and a half, three years in, I'm like, I don't have goals. I don't even have a theme. My theme was like, survive. Don't scream at any students. <laughs> check, check. <laughs> Go don't to work. Anyone. <laughs> Go to work. Check. Go to work dressed. Even better check. No, but I mean, sometimes when you're in deep grief, getting up and getting a shower can be the biggest thing. But then as you move forward, it's like, oh, I set a goal and I set, you know, just kind of an intention. I was going to be brave and beautiful, whatever that meant that year. Okay. So, so that was actually the name of your goal. I'm going to be brave and beautiful. Yeah. I, I like that. That's really cool. That's, a, that's I didn't, a, Yeah. I didn't feel brave. I was terrified all the time. I was scared. We lived down on a ranch. It was, you know, way out in the middle of nowhere. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's when I got the dog that I wrote the book about in my memoir. Oh, yeah. We got to talk about that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, I always wanted a Doberman, so I went and got a Doberman. And I researched and I researched and I researched, and I thought I had this great, great, awesome place. And when we went to get Hans the Doberman in a snowstorm the following year after he died, it was like, oh, this is a puppy mill. What have I done? It was horrible. And my son is like, mom. I, I brought the guns, you know, because my older son was all about that. I'm like, no, 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 we're not doing that. We're just going to go and get the puppy. <clears throat> totally sketchy, but we brought little Hanser home. So this was a year after your husband passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So I tell me we, about Hans. Tell me about the Doberman. Oh, Hans. We needed, and I decided I wanted a Doberman. Always did. It'd be big, strong, scary. And anybody who's a Doberman owner probably knows that's not how he grew up to be. <laughs> He's a big wimp, right? <laughs> yeah, he was a big goofy playboy. Oh, he's so fun. Um, but they're scary looking. So he, if you yeah. want just a watchdog, then mm-hmm. I think on some level that's a good one because nobody's going to walk in your house with a Doberman. No, no. Yeah. And he barked. Yeah, the bark was enough to terrify anybody. Right. Um, and we got him to have some fun and joy in our lives. And it was the same Christmas. I tried to order Christmas presents for my kids online and I didn't open the package till midnight the night of Christmas Eve. And it was the wrong package. It was on our stuff. Oh. And I walked upstairs. I'm like, I'm the biggest loser. Mom. And they're like, it's okay, mom. We're going to get a puppy. You know? So, um, yeah. So Hans came in as a puppers and he was great. He grew up to be a goofy boy and he ended up being my therapy dog. It's what I call him. Not officially, not at all, right. but right. many, many nights it would be me sitting on the one side of the couch. Hans are on the other side. We had another dog, Christy, and then another dog. My son's like, hey, mom, you need to rescue this dog too. So we had Duke, but Hans was my dog that I talked to. And it was, he was of another world, we swear. Because he was, he would just sit and he would look at you with those big, brown, intense eyes and just listen and just listen and just, you know, love on me and lick away the tears and things. And so, um, yeah, he was a super special dude. And he helped the kiddos too. Cause I mean, it's nothing like having a small pony in your house. Right. Right. So tell me about that relationship and what prompted you to write the book? Because the book is about how he kind of 
mm-hmm. saved you or tell me yeah. about that? Yeah. Yeah. The book is called Soul Love, How a Dog Taught Me to Breathe Again. And the book came about as many people kept saying, you need to tell your story. You need to tell your story. And I'm like, I don't want to tell my story. You guys only see the good stuff. You don't know the yick behind the doors that happened, the cursing, right. thing, the crying, yeah. the screaming, the fights. I mean, they didn't see it. So I, I kept sort of a journal after my husband passed, but not a great one. It was a lot of it was Facebook posts is how I came up with the book because I promised yeah. my friends, friends I would do a daily Facebook post along with the daily devotionals I had so that they knew I was alive and I didn't off myself. That was kind of my joke. I'll post okay. so y'all don't. So y'all stop calling me because <laughs> I didn't want to talk to people. So I introduced well, it a, a private Facebook group that just your friends could read or was it? Public? No, I just put it, put it out there. You know, I do the devotional and say something about what was going on in school or, you know, Hans ate this as a puppy. They eat everything. Yeah. Right. Tear everything yeah. up. Dobermans are like that. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote the book and Hans tells all the yucky parts that I'm embarrassed about talking oh, about. Interesting. And he also talks from that, wow, I'm really worried about mom. Um, she's drinking again, kind of a thing. And you know, and what's happening in the household. Because it, it gets kind of dark and dreary. And I go into the dark place as what he describes it as. So it's, uh, it's kind of a unique way of writing it. But it allowed me to tell the whole story without it being me telling it, if that makes any strange sense. Yeah, I mean, it does. Because it kind of takes away the personal part of it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. makes it from the dog's perspective. So did you write the book to help people? Like what, what was the purpose to help other people that are in a similar circumstance than you to realize that you can get really, really dark and have mm-hmm. a lot of issues after someone in your family passes, but you can work your way back out of it? Like what is the moral of the story? The, the purpose is showing that there's hope after a tragedy. And it comes in interesting forms. It may come in the form of a dog or a cat or, you know, any other animal. Horses are big for that as well. And the purpose was to provide, A, a normalcy to grief and how yucky a real, raw, visual, visceral version of what real grief looks like because we don't talk about it right. in the Western world nearly enough. And to provide hope to others. And it's the, <laughs> I wrote the book and published it in 2018. And it's just out there doing crazy, wild things. I get emails and posts from people like, oh, my gosh. And it's. Um, it's helped others. And that, that was my hope when I wrote it. Right. I didn't know if that right. was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but I truly was like, okay, we're going to write this. I kept feeling that tap, tap, tap. You need to get your book out. I don't really want to write the book, but I'll write the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in, in, on some level, um, just letting other people know that they're not alone. Right. In this kind right. of situation, because there's mm-hmm. so many people that have gone through terrible, terrible grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. do, you, do you coach, do your life coaching clients much of the time come to you for grief counseling and resilience or what exactly is kind of your focus? My focus is um, strangely enough, it's well, not strangely, a lot of it is career and work performance is what I've been doing for the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also, <clears throat> excuse me, also mental health trained. So I do coaching um, and, and very much coaching, not therapy but around anxiety and work performance anxiety, the imposter syndrome is a lot Mm -hmm. of it. And it comes, I do have some grief clients, but most of my clients are either career changers, job changers. Um, I live in the Austin, Texas area. So many high tech and former high tech folks come my way. 
excuse me, as well as those really just wanting to build resiliency and or set goals and meet their goals. Okay. Well, let me kind of dovetail into this then, because Mm -hmm. in veterinary medicine, I don't know if you're familiar, but in our um, industry right now, there is a lot of mental health struggles, a lot of um, people wanting to change jobs um, Mm. just to get away from the profession because of the stress that, that they feel. And so my mission and one of my missions is to help veterinarians stay in vet med if they can, but still create a beautiful life and handle all that, you know, the things that, that we deal with. And so a big part of that and a big thing that we struggle with is imposter syndrome. So let's talk a little bit about that. Wow. Yeah. That's It's a, a big topic in veterinary medicine. Like we, I would say almost all my clients, that is a big thing. And it, and it is for, you know, most people, I guess, but it seems to be in vet med. And surprisingly enough, it's very much in the high tech industry and other industries as well. And it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, you know, and I, even I, when I was an executive, I kept going, oh my God, they're going to find out. I don't know <laughs> what the They're going to find I'm out doing. I'm not as smart as they think I am. <laughs> right. Like I'm going to make a big goofball here and it's going to cost a lot of money. Oh God, help me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really normal to have the imposter syndrome. And sometimes it's, um, and there's, I've, I've written articles on it and things like that. But one of the things that comes to my mind is, is it imposter syndrome or is it a feeling of self-doubt or self-worth? Mm-hmm. Um, probably both right right I yeah. mean and it it's one of those you know okay if I have um doubt about my abilities that's normal it's when it begins to impact your work and what you do that's when it becomes more you know, what I would call problematic yeah so do you find that in your the people that you coach, it does hold them back from performing their job appropriately? I don't know that I would say appropriately. I would say it can really impact, um, you know, are you going to go for it? Are you going to give all you can? Are you going to, um, the way I describe it, are you leaning forward into the moment? Are you shrinking back because you're, I'm not sure if I can do this kind of a okay. thing. Okay. Yeah. I like that like leaning forward or pulling back mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 So if if somebody is struggling with that kind of thought pattern and they feel like they're they're pulling back and not leaning mm-hmm. forward, do you have like a couple of pieces of advice that you sure, first, share for them to try to work through it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing would be are you aware of it? Kind of, are you aware of when you shrink or when you lean forward? And then kind of think of like, okay. And a lot of times we'll shrink or not feel like we're you know, at the table in you know, executive speak when there's maybe perhaps intimidating people around you. Is it a certain person? Is it a certain environment? Is it a certain, you know, meeting you go to, or is it on a certain day or is it at, you know, at the five o'clock hour, we're all tired. We want to go home. I really don't want to do that. I'm not going to engage in that. So kind of recognizing it and then acknowledge your feelings and thoughts, maybe not at that moment, but, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and go, okay, I really felt, you know, less than I was, you know, they're going to, I'm a fraud or whatever your automatic little imposter syndrome person says to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that little voice in your head, right. That tells you you're not good enough. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can, I can see that for sure. Um, happening to a lot of us. I know when, um, I, I, there are certain veterinarians that I've worked with over the years. I had one in particular that, um, used to work with me a couple days a week and she's super brilliant. You know, she just remembers everything and she knows all the diseases and she knows all the doses and she knows all the, you know, things. And so when I was working with her at the beginning, I really felt like a fraud. It was like, oh, well, I'm not as smart as she is. I don't think of all these weird diseases that she thinks of. I got to go look stuff up, you know, and how is it that, you know, I'm qualified to do what I'm doing when I'm with her, who's such a genius, but Mm. then working through it, it was like, oh, all right, well, I have these qualities. She has these qualities. And so the more I was able to process that, the more I was able to be like, oh, we're a perfect pair because she'll go off into zebra land where the diseases are all weird. And I'll bring (laughs) her back down to earth and say, yeah, but it might just be a bladder infection, you know, or something easy. So it kind of ended up helping me with, with that imposter syndrome when I was around her. So I think what you said about Mm -hmm. understanding where you're feeling it and maybe why like, what mm-hmm. are the thoughts? I'm not as smart yeah. as that woman. I don't know as much as her, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then knowing, you know, wherever you are in your life, the best you can do is the best you can do. Mm-hmm. You're not. And remembering, what are the facts about this? Um, am I making a story up about this? Like, oh my gosh, she's so smart. I'm not blah, 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 blah. And I think I'm stupid. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. And I, I coach a lot of the the younger folks through that. And it's like, you know, we all started somewhere. And if you bring your very best every day and remember, I'm doing the best that I can, that's as good as you can do and learn. And being open to learning. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And asking for feedback. If you're really worried about your boss thinking like, oh my God, you're stupid. Say, okay, do you have any feedback for me? Anywhere I can grow? Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) But it's, it's, it, and oftentimes you'll be uh, surprised. But another thing in um, the imposter syndrome is being mindful of: Are you a perfectionist mm. or not? Because perfectionism. That's so there's a lot of perf- a lot of us are perfectionists for sure. Sure, and it's mm-hmm. of course you've got animals. You want to do your best work. We all do. Mm-hmm. Um, but remembering perfectionism is actually another. You know, it's another part of not feeling self worth a lot of times, and it's better done than perfect. It's one of the mottos. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, just getting stuff out there into the world mm-hmm. and doing is mm-hmm. better than holding yourself back. Because I, I don't think people realize that the perfectionism stops. It stops them from living. Yeah. 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 That's why a lot of uh, people want to quit the profession is because they're afraid to make a mistake or, you know, it's too stressful because they're afraid they're going to make a mistake and that perfectionism gets in their head and then the stress Mm. of that causes them to want to get out. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, then you're, then you're not doing the thing that you really, really want to do. Yeah. And a great way to ask yourself is this, what is enough? What's enough at the end of the day? Have you uh, done your best and have you done enough and have you perfect? You know, maybe the animal just has a bandage on you didn't fix it all. That's okay. Is it enough for now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And in our profession too, it's like, if the client won't let you do what you know is Mm. the perfect treatment plan, well, did you do what you needed to do for that client? You know, did you treat them with respect and kindness and, and treat the animal the way, you know, it at least should be treated in the client's mind. So, yeah. So what about like work performance too? Mm. 
Yeah, because that's kind of part of it. Yeah. And one of the things, and this goes with either imposter syndrome or perfectionism or even work performance, is stop comparing yourself to others. Mm, yeah. Way easier said than done. But the comparison is, it's not helping you. And I realized my coaching business took off as well as I felt better about myself. When I stopped comparing myself to a couple of coaches who I held in super high regard, I still do. They're awesome people. But I'm like, I'm not going to be them. I'm like, I'm just not. Wow. What do you know? I'm not them. What do you know? (laughs) And realizing that you've been given your gifts, whatever they are, and it's not going to look the same. Right. So if somebody is struggling with that thought that I'm, Mm. you know, not as good as the next guy, like, do you Mm -hmm. have any ways of trying to work through that and change it? Sure. I see a small a fuzzy thing in your office. Yeah. I have dogs in here. I have two Shelties. <laughs> oh, nice. Mine's outside. She makes, well, they're here. <laughs> she always likes to do the squeaky toys when I'm on. Um, so yeah, if you're not feeling enough, a great thing to do, and they did they do this in the military because my oldest son's in the military and they did it in school. It's called an I love you file. And mm. it's start keeping a file of all, I used to call it a kudos you know, all of the files that say, hey, you did a good job, any awards you might have won, any thank you notes. Um, And we, from the teaching profession, you know, cute little things from the kiddos or parents in the professional world, you know, anything that you've ever had or things that you've done that are uniquely you, even outside of work. Like, hey, you know, I have a coach friend that went and climbed Mount Everest. Okay, not everybody does that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Run a marathon or something. Right. Yeah. Do something that's really neat and anything that makes you feel good. And that's your I love you file when you have those yucky days when, of course, it's going to happen. You feel bad or something happened. You kind of get it back out and go, hey, remember? That's what us as coaches do. Remember? You're awesome. Look in that mirror of awesomeness. (laughs) Yeah. I've also challenged people to kind of write a list of um, in my in my coaching, it's write a list of what you love about veterinary medicine and then all the good things that have happened to you in veterinary mm. medicine, which is very much the same. You yeah, know, it's, it's just all the amazing things because we really have a tendency to focus on the negative, right? Sure, sure. And you once you go down that path, it's really hard. Um, and speaking of the negative, at the end, the gratitude practice is huge for rewiring your brain for positivity. Yeah. Be grateful. You know, what are you grateful for? You know, three gratitudes a day. And it doesn't have to be a big process. I just put a timer on my phone when I first started as a coach. I'm like, oh my God, I have to do this stupid gratitude practice. That was my attitude. I'm like, oh, still coming from high tech yeah, and us education. Like coaches, we still have those <laughs> attitudes sometimes, right? <laughs> It took years and I've now I have like an incorporated one. I do it every day. I have a little positive calendar and I write my gratitudes down. I mean, if if you'd asked me, you know, eight years ago when I started my business, are you going to write gratitudes down? I'll be like, no, never. But it it really can wire your brain for looking for positivity. Right. Rather than the negatives, because that's what we have a tendency to do. Yeah. In our job, in our practice. Yeah. And you can do that in, you know meetings at the office or even at home? Like, what are the highlights of this week? What are your lowlights? How can I help you? Yeah. So let me ask you this. Since you worked as a manager of people, (laughs) right? And then Mm -hmm. of kids as a teacher. Yeah. And a department head of other teachers. Woo, that was fun. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So you're, so you're in that seat and, and most of us as veterinarians are, because we have people Mm -hmm. that work with us. Um, Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to the the veterinarians for the people in their practice, if they have a very kind of negative 
the buzzword is kind of toxic culture. Like how can one individual try to move that needle a little bit? Do you have any of that advice? Oh, wow. I have all kinds of thoughts. Worked in it, been in it, lived in it, found out in teaching. Wow. Some people are in middle school still. Yeah. Um, If you notice the toxicity, and as the manager, if you notice it's your employees, that's one. I'm all about nip it in the bud. I don't know if that's my New York kind of, let's take care of it now, deal with it direct kind of thing. But it's like, oh, okay, hey, let's get together and A, acknowledge what's going wrong. What's not okay? And sometimes if you gather a group and they don't want to do that, and I used to do this in my high tech life, is I would give everybody sticky notes. Like, okay, write down, you know, five things that you're upset, angry about. And that can happen. Um, and then, so do you mean anonymously? Like if you had a group of people, then, uh-huh. then they could turn in the sticky notes without owning it. Right. And I would yeah. leave the room and they would all go stick their sticky notes up on the board and you could see groupings like, well, oh my gosh, there's 30 sticky notes over here that, wow, I've been working you to death. Oops. You know, what can I do about that kind of a thing? And you, you know, and I would go in and it's easier said than done as the manager to not kind of take this personally. Oh, well, look at y'all are whining about this. Nah, 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 nah. But trying to go in and then it's, it's back to the good old Stephen Covey, seek to understand what's going on. And then also I would always ask the flip side, what's going right. So we do kind of two exercises and figure right. out how can we bridge that gap? Yeah. You know, and oh, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that, you know, so-and-so can't work on Saturdays because they have a new baby. It would have been nice if somebody had told me I wouldn't make you work that. I'm mom. I'm not horrible. Okay. That, I love that exercise because I, I talk to a lot of my colleagues who are really anti-conflict you know, I, I always say I like conflict and I kind of do, which is weird, but, <laughs> but some people are, yeah, but well, cause you're direct like I am too. But so some people have a trouble with that. So I like mm-hmm. that, um, that sticky note idea because then you're not getting it directly in the face and you're not having mm-hmm. to confront it right away. You can kind of get all of the angst out. So, mm-hmm. so once you figure out what's wrong, how do you start turning them around? Uh, and I'm, and this is, if you can build consensus that we all agree that this is a problem. Ah. Now, sometimes in management, it's a problem for them, but not a problem for me because I got to make you do this odious right. task. Right. And sometimes being making sure as a manager, you're communicating as much as you can to them about why this is important to the business, why we're doing this. You know, never, never any fun. We're like, hey, we're going to update the office software and do blah, blah, blah. Aren't y'all excited? No, nobody is. <laughs> that would be an example that most of us can relate to. But if you can explain why and, you know, you know, help and using the words help me understand, I think are some of the mm. best words you can do to have like a help me understand how this is impacting your job. Um, and also don't always, right? We don't always <laughs> understand why the other people have a grape. I, I've always said that, you know, in a, in a veterinary hospital, you have different departments, you know, you have the receptionists or the CRIs and the managers and the techs and, mm-hmm. and you don't always feel their pain. Yeah. And you it's might not know. World. Yeah. Oh, I'm pulling from this. Man, my life is great, man. All these people are not happy. What did I do? Yeah. <laughs> and be willing to learn yourself as a veterinarian, like, oh, we implemented this. This is working really well for me. Ooh, how can we make it better for you? Right. If that's possible. Um, and sometimes as a leader, sometimes you just say, hey, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah. And 
And, and if they're super toxic and disruptive in the workforce, you can have one-on-one conversations with them about, you know, this is not tolerable. And if you don't fix it, you're going to have to go. Right. Right. Um, not a fun conversation, but at times I, I do want to recognize that toxicity and or negative people just, they have to go because yeah. they're just an unhappy, miserable person. And if you have EAP programs for anybody, you know, and find out what's going on. Maybe they've got a personal loss in their life or a struggle or an addiction or their, you know, mom's ill and dying and find out, hey, what's going on? This right. is not your normal behavior. Yeah. Because it's because a lot of times it is deeper, right? <laughs> than we know. Yeah, for sure. Not easy. Management is all kinds of fun and not at the same time. Yeah, for sure. It's always fun to be a leader. But I always tell people you're a leader no matter where you are. <laughs> so whether you're the, the manager by name or you're just a person in the business is you can definitely take some responsibility for a culture. Definitely. Not participate in it, you know, mm-hmm. if, if it's negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No gossip and always do your best. And those, I mean, you know, that's yeah. like the gossip and the backstabbing is that has no place. Right. And I don't know before we have time, if I could read a, the preface of soul love. It's, yeah. It's where yeah, Hans absolutely. gets his mission, but oh, I just wonder. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hear about it because that it's super interesting to us as veterinarians, because we know the value of pets and what they can do for our mental health. And we all have them. And, but then we deal with the other side of the grief, you know, right. And loses their pet. Sure. And I think doing that as noble as you can with dignity is what you can do. Right. So, yeah. So share with us. That'd be great. Sure. So soul love, it's how a dog taught me to breathe again. And I'll just read the back of it real quick to give people kind of, so Chris, that was my first husband dies unexpectedly in a motorcycle accident. Tree center two school-age sons must figure out life as a single mother and fatherless kids. They live on a 12 and a half acre ranch in Texas and keep several pet dogs, none as special as Hans, a brown Doberman that they adopt after Chris's death. Hans's wise brown eyes, which peer deeply into your soul, convinced Teresa that he was sent to her by God as a personal grief dog. Over the next four years, Hans helps his broken family heal the anger, the helplessness, the hopelessness that deep grief causes, teaching them how to forgive, love, and laugh again. So my editor wrote that. She was awesome. Sounds good. Yes. (laughs) Um, So here's the prologue. And this is Hans. And you have different type for Hans in the book. It says, I'm in heaven having a blast. The best life ever for an animal. I sleep. I play. I eat. I love and just exist. Heaven is the greatest reward of all. In heaven, all animals live in perfect, perfect harmony. Dogs and cats are buddies. Foxes and hens are friends. Fish and birds hang out and have fun. No one has the fear of being eaten or killed. We just live and are happy together. One of my best buddies is a black cat named Niles. One of our romps around heaven when we're doing dog things and he's doing cat things and I run and pee in a bush, I see the light and this man coming towards me and Niles. Oh, wow. It's one of us is going to be picked for our mission. I wonder who'll get picked. I'm ready. Maybe, maybe he'll just pick me. The man walks over to me and rubs my ears. Ooh, I like that. And says, I have a special job for you. And I notice the man seems very sad and smells very new to heaven. And he has really dark, fuzzy hair everywhere, kind of like a dog. Pretty cool he's so hairy. But why is he so sad? He bends down to look into my eyes and keeps rubbing my ears. Ooh, ow. I can feel his deep pain and anguish as a tear runs down his face. My wife and two boys need you, buddy. He catches his breath and the light places a hand on his shoulder in a reassuring manner. The man says tearfully, I had to leave too quickly, so suddenly. They really need love and support. 
the light informs me. This will be a hard mission, but if you pay attention and listen to me and ask for my help and just love them the best that you can, you will be successful and grow your grief dog skills. I bark with excitement. Woof! Yes, I want to go be a great grief dog. Wow, that's so awesome. I'm going on a mission. I so very much want to serve a family in need. And then I pause, sensing this man's raw, searing, gut-wrenching pain and exudes profound grief. He stares off to the sky and then covers his face with his hand and cries softly on my shoulder. I never meant to leave without a goodbye. Oh, won't you be there for them? Who will protect them? Oh, God, please go help them. And he says, I'm so sorry, babe. What about the boys? Who will be there for them? This is too much for her and the boys. I need you, buddy. You got to go down there. I sit quietly, absorbing the pain and licking his hands. I'm a little scared now about how big this mission might be and what life on earth will be like, but I want to go on this mission and help the man and his family. The man says, okay, you ready for this mission? It's going to be big and challenging. You first have to be born and then grow into what you've been created for. How could I not go? This man just poured out his pain. I agree, and I will go to earth and do the best that I can. Seek me, and I will guide you. Wow, that's great. I love that. I read it without crying. It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't know how you did, though. That's really touching. So, yeah, and that's Hans talks like a human in there, and and he talks as a puppy, and then he grows up together with us. That's amazing. Well, that's a really good idea. And I'm glad that you were willing to share all the, the raw emotion of your story. Cause it sounds like it, it does get pretty raw in the book. Yeah. It gets kind of ugly. There's a lot of ugliness, but it, it turns to hope Yeah, as well. And there's lessons learned for myself, the boys and the dog learns lessons as well. Yeah. And that's what this is all about, right? It's the going <laughs> through life and learning the things that we have to learn, even in the Worst mm-hmm. of times, which that absolutely was. Yeah, no. And, you know, even when you're having hard times at work and hard things, what can I learn from this experience dealing yeah. with conflict? Yeah, sometimes just that curiosity. What are the lessons mm-hmm. in this for me? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I love you reading that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. So what's, what's one more thing that you would like to share that I didn't ask you or we didn't talk about before we wrap up? I think um, it's to live, to love, and to laugh. That's, mm. that's like my motto. Yeah. Uh, my, my husband was an Eagle uh, a Boy Scout troop master, and one of the Eagle Scouts drew this thing, and uh, many, some of us got it tattooed on us, and it has live, love, laugh, because that's that emboldens what life is really about. No matter what, can you live? Can you love? Can you laugh? Yeah. And that's the spirit of your husband as well. Yeah. 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 And the spirit of life. You know? That's what we're put here for. Right. Right. All right. Well, tell anybody that's listening to us where they can find you, if they want to learn more, if they want to check out your book, um, sure. website, whatever you want to share before we Excellent. wrap up. Uh, website's probably the easiest and it's bold, fulfilled life coach, all one word.com. That's www.bolfulfilledlifecoach.com. And you can also look up Teresa with no H, T E R E S A, last name Bittner, B I T N E R. Um, the book is on Amazon. It's on my website if you want to sign personal signed copy. I'd be happy to sign one. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love doing that. Um, yeah. You can find me there and I'm out and about and around and happy to meet up with other people. And thank you so much for this time. Awesome. I really appreciate you being here. It was fun talking and uh, maybe yeah. we'll get to do it again sometime. 
Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. Thank you again. Have a good one. Thanks. Everybody have a beautiful week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.